Good morning, everybody. Um, I am all over the shop emotionally now, so uh, we're in for, I don't know what we're in for now. Um, thank you. Thank you wholeheartedly to everybody who's um, taken part this morning. Um, I just, I, I feel like I, I really want to remind you this morning that if there's anything you would like prayer for before you leave today, um, we sang a minute ago, God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to cleanse, heal and forgive. And if you're feeling this morning like you need cleansing, like you need healing, uh, that you need forgiveness, um, there'll be a couple of people up here who would love to pray for you, but there's people all around you who would gladly pray for you. So grab someone near you uh, or come up here um, and just ask someone to, to pray with you before you go. Um, I don't know if you watched the, the coronation yesterday. I, I didn't. It was far too long. Um, it was even longer than an MCF service. Um, so, but I saw a couple of snippets, and um, my favorite little bit was where the Bible uh, was, was presented to the king um, with the words. And it was a, very, a much older Bible than this one. Uh, but the words that were spoken were, here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? And so we want to approach God's word this morning with that sense of expectancy. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law of the king. These are the lively oracles of God. So let's pray as we, we come to God's word. Father, as we come uh, to your word this morning, our hearts are hungry for wisdom. Um, our hearts are hungry for a word from the king. Um, our hearts are hungry for a living word, a lively word from a living God. And so, Father, we pray really simply, would you speak to us as we open up a, a strange and challenging book of the Bible we want to come still with that hunger and expectation. Would you speak to the depths of our hearts a word that would bring cleansing, that would bring healing, that would bring forgiveness, that would make us fully alive in Christ? Um, and so, Father, help us to receive your word in faith this morning. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we are we're coming um, to begin. We're going to be looking at a, a one of the most one of the strangest books in the Bible, one of the most neglected books in the Bible. Um, maybe as a, a an odd way to begin, um, can anybody name the movie? If I put that up, anybody name the movie? Groundhog Day. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say because um, I'm at the microphone and I can say it, undoubtedly one of the greatest movies ever made in the history of cinema. Uh, absolute classic. Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, finds himself trapped in a time loop where he's reliving the same day over and over and over again. And every morning he wakes in the same bed, the alarm clock turns six o'clock, Sonny and Cher sing the same song on the radio. And he gets up and goes downstairs to the same breakfast and is greeted on the street by the same over-friendly neighbours and the same inane greetings over and over and over again. Um, I wonder, do you ever feel like Phil Connors? 
Do you ever feel like you're trapped on the same day over and over and over again? Do you ever feel like every week is a bit like the week before or every year is a bit like the year before? Um, it's maybe not a bad way to introduce the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I think Groundhog Day would serve very well as a companion movie uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, this is a strange and puzzling book. And so I want to say at the very beginning, I want to encourage you to read the book for yourself. But I want to encourage you, if you find it strange and you find it puzzling, don't get discouraged. Um, nearly everybody who reads this book finds it strange and finds it puzzling. Um, and I want to suggest that is actually part of how the book works. It, you're meant to puzzle over it. You're meant to wrestle with it a little bit. You're meant to talk to other people about it and go, what on earth is all that about? And as you puzzle over it and turn it over in your mind and in your heart, um, its meaning will sneak up on you. It will emerge. It will dawn on you as you do that. And so I want to encourage you, uh, don't give up easily or, or get discouraged. Um, it, historically, uh, there have been some people who have argued that the book shouldn't be in the Bible at all, that it's just too weird. Um, one of the things I find really interesting is some of those who don't like it have said it is too depressing, and we'll find out pretty quickly why they say that. Um, but other people on the other side have, have said they don't like it because it celebrates pleasure too much and enjoying food and wine and friendship and marriage and all the rest. And immediately you think, this is a strange book. Some people don't like it because it's too depressing, and some people don't like it because it's kind of hedonistic and celebrating pleasure. Uh, we're already a little bit intrigued. But in the end, God's people, both in the Jewish community and then in the church, have recognized this book as scripture, which means that we believe it is God-breathed and it is useful for us for teaching and training and correction and training us um, in a life of righteousness. Um, and so we're going to approach it in that expectation, no matter how unusual this book is or surprising, this is God-breathed, this is useful for us. Um, and although the book, some people have not liked the book, the book has also drawn other people in. Some people are really fascinated by the book of Ecclesiastes. A um, couple of interesting observations. Young people, teenagers, young adults are especially drawn to this book. You can maybe wonder about why. Um, artists of all kinds, painters, poets, novelists, people of an artistic temperament are drawn to this book. Um, you can maybe ponder why that is. Um, one chaplain during the Vietnam War said it was the only part of the Bible his soldiers were willing to hear. <coughs> wonder why that would be. Um, one pastor talked about a student they knew who suffered from recurrent bouts of depression and who said reading the book is like slipping into a warm bath and they found comfort in it. Again, I want you to wonder with me why that might be. Uh, Martin Luther called it a noble little book and said Christians should read it every day, which seems excessive to me, but Martin Luther really liked it. Um, so with all that said, um, let's jump in. Um, before I read a little bit, I just want to introduce you to the main voice we're going to hear. You see, Ecclesiastes, or the preacher in the King James, that was the, the subtitle. Um, in most modern translations, the teacher. Uh, the, the word 
in Hebrew is koelet, uh, which literally means one who gathers the people or who gathers an assembly. So that's maybe worth keeping in mind. That's what the word means. Um, in Greek, it's translated as Ecclesiastes, the same word, which is where we get uh, the name of the book. Um, it is worth saying, and you may forget this and we'll, we'll remind you of it again, um, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is to be distinguished from the teacher. We hear the voice of the author right at the beginning and right at the end, kind of framing the book. Uh, the author doesn't give their name. We don't know who that writer is. But the author then presents the voice of this other speaker called Coelet, called the teacher, the one who gathers the people. Um, the, the name seems to be deliberately a little bit cryptic. At times, the speaker seems to be Solomon, the son of David, um, and speaks like Solomon, the king. At other times, as you read on, um, the speaker seems to be someone else, not the king. Um, you'll, you'll maybe spot that as you go along. Um, and so it seems likely that what we have in Ecclesiastes, and people debate this, but it seems likely that what we have is a collection of wisdom gathered together, some of it coming from the time of Solomon, some of it coming maybe from later times, but gathered together by an author later on, um, under the voice of the teacher, under the voice of Coelet. And so I think there are times when we're hearing the voice of Solomon, but times maybe when we're hearing other uh, voices of wisdom within the story of Israel. Um, so with all of that said, um, let's read the beginning of the book and you'll immediately see uh, why uh, people have said some of the things that they've said about it. So let's read from the beginning of Ecclesiastes. The words of the teacher, Coelet, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How are you feeling after that? <laughs> um, everything is meaningless. Um, it's quite a way to begin a book of wisdom. Um, and that theme is repeated often throughout the book. The, the teacher explores various aspects of life and keeps concluding this too was meaningless. This too was meaningless. Uh, the older translations you'll know say, all is vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Um, 
actually, in some ways, both those translations are a little bit misleading, meaningless, or vanity. Um, and I'm going I'm to introduce you to one Hebrew word. You don't need to remember the word koalet, which we mentioned earlier. You can just call him the teacher. Uh, but I do want you to maybe remember this word. Um, and the word is hevel. That's the Hebrew word that is translated meaningless or vanity. But literally what the word hevel means is breath or mist or vapor. And so it's a metaphor, and I think this is one of those times when it's better to leave the metaphor than try to translate it. Um, Everything is breath. Everything is mist. Everything is vapor. That is the central metaphor of the book of Ecclesiastes. That word, hevel, is repeated 38 times in what is not a very long book. And so I want to suggest that is the central picture for you to puzzle over and sit with and turn over in your mind and wonder about. What, what does it mean to say everything is hevel, everything is vapor? What does that mean? So whatever else we, we think about, I want you to carry that picture into the week and wonder about it and puzzle over it. Um, but maybe to try to help us get started a little bit, I want to suggest that maybe there are three um, layers of, um, of meaning that are connected to that idea of, of everything being vapor, or three, three things that are suggested by it and that, are, that recur all through the book. Um, one of them is this, is that life is short. I don't know if you've ever looked out the window in the morning and seen fog everywhere, or seen mist everywhere, and then you go to make your breakfast or do a few things, and then you look out the window again, and it's gone. The sun has dispelled the mist and everything is clear. Um, don't know if you've ever been out on a cold day. I'm sure you have. And seen your breath. You, you, you loved it when you were a kid. You pretended you were smoking. Um, you, you, breathe, you breathe out and you see a big cloud. But then it's gone. It's of the nature of mist and vapor. It's there for a moment. It looks really real. And then it's gone. And the teacher wants us to face the reality that we are mortal creatures with limited time, that we're all going to die. And as the book of Ecclesiastes goes on, this is talked about very directly, that this this is the great leveler. doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. doesn't matter if you're wise or foolish. doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous. Death comes to all of us. Uh, You may um, even recognize the phrase from the Psalms, express this same theme and talk about that life is like a breath, life is like a vapor. And you can find it in Psalm 39, Psalm 144. Um, The Psalms also use other images and say our lives are like grass or like flowers that flourish for a moment and then are gone. Um, An old hymn uh, says life at best is very brief, like the falling of a leaf. It's the same kind of image. Life is hevel. It's short. It's fleeting. That's one level of meaning, I think, of saying everything is hevel. But another one is this, is that life is elusive. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to grab a handful of mist or tried to grab your breath as you breathe it out on a cold day. Um, You can't do it. Your hand goes through it 
And there's something about life that is difficult to grasp. Um, and I think that's true both in the sense of it's difficult to understand. We try to understand everything, but it keeps evading us. Life is confusing. Life is full of paradox and mystery and enigma. It's hard to grasp. But also in the sense that it's difficult to control or master. We want to get to grips with life. We want to seize the day, carpe the diem. Um, we want to grab it. We want to grab life. But it keeps slipping through our grasp. It's evasive. It's elusive. We want to build something really lasting and significant. Um, but in reality, all of our best achievements turn out to be fragile and pass away and get passed on to others. And the book will explore this. Life is not only short, but it's also elusive. It's hard to grasp hold of. And then there's a third thing, which is that life is repetitive. Um, we breathe in, we breathe out. We breathe in, we breathe out. The mist appears, the mist is gone. It reappears, it's gone again. And the teacher in the passage that we read this morning at the beginning sees this repetition um, in human life as well. Um, we're all kind of stuck in Groundhog Day. Whatever happens has happened before. There is nothing new under the sun, one of the most famous phrases in this book. Um, one of the bands I loved when I was young and actually still love today is a Scottish band called Delamitri who write the most depressing songs with the most beautiful melodies. Um, and probably their most famous song, they sang in the chorus, nothing ever happens. Nothing happens at all. The needle returns to the start of the song and we all sing along like before. Right? Do you ever feel like that? Um, Delamitri, it's a good soundtrack for the book of Ecclesiastes. I wonder if they've been reading it. Um, nothing ever happens. The needle returns to the start of the song. We all sing along like before. Life is short. It's elusive. It's repetitive. Um, and so the teacher ends up saying, what do people gain from all their labors? In other words, the teacher looks around at human behavior and sees that people are really busy. Do you notice as you look around, people are busy, everybody's moving, everybody's working, everybody's doing stuff, everybody's in a hurry, everybody's a bit stressed. Um, but the teacher wants to know, what does all of that add up to? What is left in the end to show for all that frenzy of activity? What's the gain from all of that? And the, I love the, the, the teacher uses images drawn from the world of nature and says, look at all the rivers. You know, the rivers are in constant motion and movement. And think of all the rivers in the world. And they're all moving. They're all in a hurry. They're all going somewhere. The water is, you know, heading somewhere. But it all goes into the sea. And the level of the sea never changes. All that movement and motion. And yet the sea stays the same. Or he says, look at the wind. And again, think of all the, the winds around the world. Storms and gales and hurricanes and gentle breezes and all that motion and movement. And yet it all just kind of ends up back where it began. Um, all that movement, but what is there to gain? And the teacher wants to shine that spotlight on our human behavior. Um, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're sitting in a window seat upstairs in ground coffee shop at the top of town. There are other coffee shops available. 
but I'm picking that one because it's at the top of town. And you can see not only the pedestrians crossing at the pedestrian crossing to go up and down the, the town, but also the cars going the other way. Um, Corian's never quite as busy as this picture, but um, it's even better in a big city. This. But you're watching everybody moving on a busy day. Everybody's going somewhere. Where are they all going? Many of them are in a rush. A lot of them go past the window and their face just looks a bit stressed and a bit anxious and a bit, you know, like they're, they're in a hurry. They're going somewhere. Where are they all going? What are they all doing? And when today is over, what will they have achieved? What do they gain from all this movement and all this activity? That's the question the, the teacher is asking. Um, I heard someone tell a story that always stayed with me um, about uh, a man who had a dog and he liked to take the dog for a walk down by the river. Um, and this dog, um, I might say being a bit stupid, I don't know if this is stupid or not, but the dog had a habit. What it really liked to do was it would run into the river, grab a wet stone, run back to its master who was sitting on a bench, put down the wet stone and then run back to the river to get another one. And he would keep doing that as long as the master sat on the bench for half an hour, for an hour. The dog would run backward and forward. And at the end of the time, the dog is exhausted. And what does it have to show for all of its labor? It's a big pile of wet, slabbery rocks, right? It's a metaphor. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that dog? We're running backward and forward and we're wrecked at the end of the day, at the end of the week. What do we have to show for it? Um, I remember when our kids were a bit younger, um, we loved when we were on the beach. Uh, we, we didn't really like building sandcastles because we found that a wee bit boring. But for some reason, as a family, we really liked trying to build walls of sand on the beach um, and kind of build a defense against the sea. Um, and every single time, no matter how many times we'd done it, we would convince ourselves that this time we were going to win and we were going to keep the sea out. I remember one time in Donegal, and we'd, we'd chosen a bit where we'd rock walls down both sides, so we just had a little bay to defend. And we, you know, we, we all go at it, and we build this huge wall, and we reinforce it all along, tall and wide, and build a big moat along the front so the, the water will go in there first. And there's a little while where we thought, we're going to win this time. And then the tide would start to come in, and it would start to nibble at a bit of the wall, and we would rush to that part and repair it. But then somebody would shout, it's nibbling down there as well. And we'd run to that part and we'd try and repair that part. And our, our attempts at repair would become more frantic and desperate. But eventually there would come a moment where we realized that we'd lost again. And not just lost, <laughs> but if you'd come by half an hour later, there was very little trace left of our wall. And if you came back the next day, there'd be no trace at all. That's the perspective of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. All this activity, all this motion, and then the tide comes in and all trace is erased and it's forgotten. And so the teacher wants us to reflect on this, that everything is hevel, everything is vapor. And maybe at this point you're thinking, I'm, I'm ready to walk out. And we've been thinking this morning about things in life that are really hard. And you're thinking, um, I don't come to church to hear this kind of depressing talk, right? Surely we come to church to hear about hope. That's our buzzword, our byword. Um, 
what can we say about that? I, I want to I wanna resist jumping to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's tempting to jump to the end, but I want to try and go with the book and see where it leads us. But maybe we can say this. These things that we've been reflecting on this morning are not the whole truth. Even in Ecclesiastes, as we go on, we're going to find all kinds of glimmers of hope as we go. And in the wider story of the Bible, we find that there is great hope, right? And especially when we come to the story of Jesus, right? And maybe I do want to say, if you're reading Ecclesiastes and you find yourself becoming um, a bit disorientated and a bit confused and a bit down, it is okay to take a step back and take a look at Jesus, right? That's where you get orientated. The clearest revelation God has given us is in Jesus himself. And so that's, that's where you get orientated before you come back uh, to a book like this. Um, so uh, in Ecclesiastes itself, there is hope. In the wider story of the Bible, there's great hope, both for this life and for the life beyond death. But what the teacher is saying here in Ecclesiastes is part of the truth that we need to face, that life is hevel, that life is short and fragile and fleeting, and that in light of that reality, a lot of our human activity is absurd. A lot of the things we run around doing are absurd in light of the reality that life is hevel. Um, and maybe I want to suggest this this morning, that my suspicion is that all of us feel this sometimes. Um, feel like we're stuck in Groundhog Day sometimes. Feel like we're singing the same song again and again and again, shooting the same movie again and again. All of us at some point feel a bit like that dog running around endlessly but with not a lot to show for it at the end of all our activity. All of us at some point feel like our family looking at our destroyed sandcastle going, what was all that about? We lost again. All of us at some point feel like we're chasing the wind, which is an image that um, is going to recur in the book of Ecclesiastes. All of us feel at some point like there is nothing new under the sun. All of us at some point feel like this. Oh, actually, I'll come to that in a second. Have I lost my other face? I've lost my other one. Um, all of us feel at some point like life is wearisome. Did you hear those words from, from the teacher? Um, everything is wearisome, more than I can say. And I think all of us, at least at some point in our life, visit that place where we feel that everything is wearisome. And the question is, what do we do with that feeling? Um, whether you feel it for a moment or whether you feel it for a long time. Um, often what we do is we try to ignore it. We try to shove it down deep. We just try to keep going and keep swimming and keep doing the stuff we've always been doing and keep running, um, keep singing the song, keep collecting the rocks, keep building the wall. Um, and suppress that feeling of wearisomeness and absurdity. Um, and maybe what I want to suggest this morning is that strategy of just burying it causes all kinds of damage deep down in our hearts. And eventually it will leak out. And I think it can leak out as anxiety, as depression, as despair, which can come and really cripple a life. Um, or it can leak out 
as a midlife crisis or an affair or an addiction. Those are all ways to try to escape that feeling of boredom, of repetitiveness, of meaninglessness, of absurdity. So it can leak out in really destructive ways. Um, or it can leak out as anger or a critical and negative and grumbling spirit. That can especially be a danger in old age as we get older. If we don't think about these things that we're talking about, if we don't face them, if we don't reckon with them, it leaks out at any stage of life in these different ways. And I think we have an epidemic of all of those things that I've just named in our culture, which is why I think the book of Ecclesiastes in all its strangeness is a book for our time. Um, because it helps us face the reality of death and of being a finite, fragile, often foolish creature. Let me say that again more bluntly. You are a finite, fragile, often foolish creature, and so am I. Um, and it helps us face that reality. And it helps us also face that feeling that we often have, that life is repetitive and wearisome or even sometimes meaningless and absurd. And I think the book, it helps us to face them and it helps us to talk about them. Um, often whenever we have those feelings, we feel like we're the only one who feels that way. But when we hear the teacher in the Bible say those things, suddenly we don't feel so alone. And we start to wonder, maybe other people around me sometimes feel that way too. And it allows us to have a conversation. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying, listen to the voice of the teacher and let's gather together as a community and let's talk about this. Do you ever feel that way? Why do we sometimes feel that way? What makes life um, feel, feel the ways that we've been talking about? Um, and I guess here's the, the note of hope that I want to end on. Um, I, I think the promise of the book of Ecclesiastes is if we can face these things rather than stuffing them deep down, and if we can talk about them together, the book of Ecclesiastes holds out hope that this can lead to some surprising places, and we'll see this as we go on, that it can lead to wisdom, that it can lead to humility, which I think is one of the big themes of the book, and maybe most surprisingly, that it can lead to joy. Because if, if one of the repeated themes of the book is that life is Havel. The other word that keeps cropping up again and again and again is joy and enjoyment. And so somehow thinking about these things and facing them together, the promise of the book is that can lead to joy and the enjoyment of life and a life of gladness and a life of gratitude and a life of thanksgiving. Um, and maybe the only clue I'm going to give us to point us in that direction is it's something to do with if we can stop trying to grasp hold of life and instead start to receive it as a gift from God, that's where joy is going to come. If we can embrace the fact that life is Havel, that we can't grasp it, that we can't control it, but then we start to recognize that every day I have on earth is given by the king, then suddenly joy becomes possible, even in a life that is fragile and fleeting and passing away like a vapour. Um, and there's lots more hope that we're going to talk about as the series goes on, but we'll leave it on a cliffhanger.
uh, at that point. Uh, let me remind you again, I do really feel like this morning is a morning where uh, maybe lots of us need to ask someone for prayer. And again, you can ask someone near you, um, but come up here um, uh, if you'd like to find someone uh, to pray with you. Let me pray and then we're going to sing uh, to finish this morning. Father, I feel like as I finish, I really want to pray very especially for anybody, anybody here today or listening in who really has been feeling a sense of the weariness of life and has been feeling like life is empty and meaningless and has been feeling that sense of what's the point Father, I want to pray that even hearing these words of scripture this morning might have caused them to lift up their head and lift up their heart and realize that they're not alone, that many people who have lived before have felt that way, and many people maybe in this room know what that is like as well. Um, Father, I want to pray um, that you'd help us to hear the wisdom of this strange book and to face the fact that our lives are like vapor, that they are very short and fleeting, that life is really hard to grasp and control, that life can be really repetitive. Um, and yet, Father, you've given us this book to point us towards the possibility, even so, of a life that is characterized by joy and a life that is characterized by hope. And so, Father, I want to pray for anybody who came in this morning with their heart heavy and their head down, that you would begin to stir hope in them, and that you can be the lifter of their head and the lifter of their heart. Um, Father, lead us towards wisdom, lead us towards humility, lead us towards joy. Strip away illusion and delusion where they have deceived us in our minds, where we've fallen into the trap of just living the same way everybody else lives and going with the crowd and being busy and stressed and running around doing all the stuff but not pausing to wonder why. Father, would you lead us to a wiser way of living and a better way of living and a more joyful way of living? Um, and would you use this strange book to lead us in that direction? Um, help us as we talk about this book together and puzzle over it and wrestle with it together. Uh, I pray that you would come and give light and give wisdom and give insight, uh, but most of all, give encouragement and hope and joy. And I pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. <laughs>